Now, let's give our attention to the word of God to us this morning as Rick Hagar comes and reads from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that ye seek Jesus, who was crucified. For he is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There ye shall see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Thank you, Rick, for reading. Uh, Easter is always a special day. I was thinking about it this week. My first memory of Easter is actually the day I got baptized. And so always for me personally, when I come to a day like Easter, it's special. I recognize it's one day of many on a calendar, but there is something about setting aside this special, this special day. And even as a pastor, you just sense like uh, energy kind of points toward Easter and toward the events of Holy Week, and that's pretty special. I grew up, many of you know, I grew up in the Deep South, and so what that meant is Easter, like people dressed up significantly, and you always got to see that as you came to church on Easter Sunday morning. For a lot of you, Easter means even like it's present, like you're getting together with family and you're getting together with friends and uh, you're going to have a meal, share a meal a little bit later. And so that marks it. And by the way, if, if you are a family or uh, a friend of someone, I'd love to meet you. If I didn't get to before the service, I'll be in the back afterwards and I'd love to be able to say hi to you. But things do change over time, like with Easter so as much as I have so many happy memories attached to it, there are some hard things that become attached to it. So things that you have to like begin to process when you start talking a lot about death and what comes after death and life after death, which I mean, Easter focuses our attention on that, doesn't it? So I, rem I, I think back to the questions you have to ask when like three months after my dad was diagnosed with cancer, I'm in a hospital room saying goodbye and he's gone. You have to answer some questions about like, what do I believe about death? What do I believe about what comes next? When my 16 year old nephew took his life, 
It makes you ask some questions. But as much as this day is a day where we celebrate, and that is right, when you start asking questions about life and death, fairy tales don't help here. Like, it, it isn't enough to have a, some sort of holiday in the spring where we just celebrate newness and whatever that means. You have to have something that goes much, much deeper. Something that's going to anchor your heart a little bit more when you wrestle with the kinds of pain and the kinds of loss that I know many of us in this room have wrestled with. The stakes seem high. So we don't have to have cliches. We don't need them. So what we have is we have four accounts in the Bible. We have an account in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they, they give different details, but they're all telling the same story. And, and this story is significant. We read, uh, Rick read a moment ago from Matthew 28. And before we just rush to maybe some comparisons, some life lessons that we could make from, from those stories, I want to make sure we, we really do understand what the story is. I, I want to make sure we appreciate some of the details. And really, we sit in the story for a few moments. Because there's some elements of the story that are spectacular, and then some that are really simple and really straightforward. And they just kind of are woven together. And so I want you to see those. And I know probably many in the room, this is not the first time, maybe not even the hundredth time you've heard the Easter story, but I want us to hear it again. Maybe the Lord would give us fresh ears to hear it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 begins like this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb what you notice there is you have two ladies. What you don't have is a big crowd. Last week, we talked about a big crowd, didn't we? With Palm Sunday, we talked about a big crowd with lots of admirers, people that Jesus had healed, people that had listened to Jesus' teaching. You had his disciples, so you had this crowd, but here you don't. You have two ladies. One of those ladies, though, is Mary Magdalene. Do you see that? Mary Magdalene is there, and Mary, it's significant that she was there because her life was just a total mess before she met Jesus, which by the way, all of our lives are a mess until we meet Jesus. We may not be aware of how much of a mess they are, but when she met Jesus, it changed. It changed everything for her. And now she won't leave him. I know that because you just read the chapter before Matthew 27, she's right there at the cross. Even when everybody else had gone away, she's right there. And even when Jesus is buried, placed in the tomb, she's right there. And here we have her in Matthew 28, and she's there again with the other Mary. They go to see the tomb, verse 1 says, to see it. And I think that's significant because Matthew is going to use that word see and behold a lot. I, 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 don't, I didn't count the number of times see or behold or appearance, but, but it is intended to send us a very significant message by this word choice that what is not happening here is nobody is just having some sort of dream or vision, some intense psychological experience. Although that is happening, something else is happening. People are seeing, they've gone to see something, not just sense something, but to see it. And so it says in verse two, and look or behold or see, there was a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, which is like lightning, his clothing white as snow and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
earthquakes and lightning and fear. Just interesting, Jesus had said in one of the last bits of teaching that he does before he goes to the garden where he's betrayed, one of the last bits of teaching that he had said is, when the end of time comes, there'd be earthquakes and lightning and fear. And although we're certainly not at the end of time on that morning, it is in some ways the beginning of the end of the time, end of time when Jesus rises from the dead. And so there's earthquakes and, and things are different. And the angel appears and a lot of things seem so intense and unpredictable. No one knows exactly, seems like no one knows exactly what is happening. There is no human script that seems to like just kind of give a play-by-play of what all is going to happen. It doesn't seem like it's going according to anybody's human plan. Like, well, well, next the angel comes. I mean, nobody's thinking that. Nobody has a plan for that. Nobody, nobody, humanly speaking, expects any of that. The word choice there at the end of verse 4 is ironic. It's meant to be ironic, I think, because the dead man is supposed to be in the tomb, We've got people outside the tomb, the guards who are protecting, like, anybody messing with the dead man. Like, the guards, they're the ones that fall, and it says they become like dead men. While the person that's supposedly in the tomb, he's not there. So it definitely gives you uh, a picture of what's going on. The first words spoken in the chapter of the resurrection of Jesus actually come from the angel. Look at verse 5. It says, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. The first words, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Actually, you're not supposed to be afraid. The guards tremble. They're afraid, but you don't have to. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because I know what you're looking for. That's what the angel says. I know who you're seeking. I know what you're seeking. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus. You're looking for the body of Jesus. Again, so simple. This is what you're after. This is what got you up early this morning to walk to the tomb you're looking for the body of Jesus to honor him, to recognize him. The body of Jesus. I mean, his name, just Jesus. I, on the cross, and really even leading up to the cross, you have all these titles floating around. And often they were used disparagingly, like, oh, you're, you really look like the son of God now. Oh, this is the king of the Jews. This is the king of Israel. The son of man. I mean, all these were titles floating around. And here it's like all the titles are stripped back. And the angel says, I know what you're looking for. I know who you're looking for. You are looking for Jesus. Jesus who was crucified. You know, on a morning where we're singing about the resurrection of Jesus, it would be like, I guess you could be tempted to think all the cross stuff, let's like lock that in a box and never talk about it anymore. But notice even the angel says, Jesus who was crucified. And there's a reason why in Revelation, he's worthy as the lamb who was slain. I mean, they're still singing about it well into e- eternity future. They're still singing about the lamb who was slain, Jesus, the one who's crucified. Paul would say, we don't really have another message other than Jesus crucified, Jesus on a cross. And you hear even the women are pointed to, like, we're not going to move on from that. There isn't like yeah, we can all like tuck that away and now we move on to something. No, no, we, we sit there and we do sing. I mean, Larry reads Isaiah 53 and we sing, man of sorrows, what a name. We hear that and we sing it because we recognize Christ was crucified and then the announcement, then the announcement comes. In verse six, words that just change 
They changed literally everything. He is not here. You're looking for Jesus. I know you're looking for him. He's not here for he has risen. He has been raised, as he said. So come see the place where he lay. He is risen. He's alive. And this happened just like he said it would. So Jesus told them this would happen. They didn't have ears to hear it, but Jesus told his disciples. He told the followers of his that this would happen. He said, I'm going to be crucified. The Son of Man's going to be delivered over to sinners. They're going to betray him. He's going to be crucified, but I will rise again. But again, you and I, if we're hearing that and we don't know the full story, we're probably not really putting all the pieces of that puzzle together. We probably wouldn't have expected either. But here, here it is clear. He is risen. And it's just as he said, he promised. And it's happened. He is risen. He is alive. And, and notice the invitation in verse 6. Come and see the place. See the place where he did lay. It's an invitation there. Like, come and investigate. You put the pieces of this together. Use your senses. Like, use your eyes. Look in there, and there's not a body in there. And that's going to draw, have, it's going to make you draw some conclusions. I appreciate this. Faith is always going to be involved when it comes to Jesus. We haven't seen him with our eyes. But I noticed the invitation here is like, you take a look. So it doesn't say suspend all reason and all logic and let's go into fairy tale world now. It doesn't say that. No, no, you are invited in, those ladies. It's not as if it's like stand at the door, nothing to see here, folks. It's like, no, no, you come in. You, you investigate. You take a look. Don't check your brain at the door. Like, think. Be honest. Something's happened here. What explanation could there be? And then there's the, not so much an invitation, but a commission. There's people who need to know verse 7. Then, like, then go quickly. So come and see. But then, like, there's, there's really no reason to stay. Like, you go quickly and tell his disciples that, Jesus is risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and you will see him there. See, I have told you. For the second time, the angel says he is risen. This time, he doesn't just say he's risen. He says he's risen from the dead, which certainly implied in the first, but made explicit the second time he says it. He's risen from the dead. He's not dead. You saw him die, and he's alive. And not only is he alive, he's on the move. That's what it says. He's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. There comes a time, and we live in that time, where Jesus is present with all of his followers through, through the Holy Spirit. Like, that's the time we live in. But that morning was a different, it was a different time period. It's actually, no, no, Jesus, with a human body, is going to Galilee real Jesus. It's not so much that, you know, Jesus will always just live on in our hearts and in our memories, and he'll live on when we're inspired to be good people, and he'll live on when we're motivated to do our best, and Jesus will live on through his teaching and his influence. I mean, frankly, lots of people live on through their teaching and influence. Lots of people that have passed away are inspirational to me and very motivational to me. It's a very different sense in which the angel is making an announcement here. 
It's not so much that he's going to live on in, in some sort of memory, but no, no, he's going to Galilee. He's going to Galilee to meet. And the meeting is very personal. I, I appreciate it. Again, you see details and they begin to jump out at you. What it says in verse 7 is that he is going before you to Galilee. And then it says, and there you will see him. So ladies that, frankly, we know are terrified, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they don't know quite what to do. They hear this. The person that you staked your whole life on and you thought it all ended is alive and he wants to meet you. And he wants you where he is. I mean, it gets, it gets so personal. You matter to him. Of course, of course, no one on Easter should say anything other than Jesus is the centerpiece. His agenda is the most important. That is what matters. But then you realize, yeah, and his agenda is meeting with you. You're going to see him. You're not just going to sense him. I kind of feel Jesus in that. No, no, no. The promise to Mary and the other Mary is you will see him. Jesus has been raised. He's preparing to meet them and they would see him soon. So how would you respond? How would I respond? I'm not, I'm not quite sure, frankly. I, I really, it's hard to even imagine how exactly we, we would respond to this. Uh, this picture is such a special scene. It says in verse 8 that they departed quickly from the tomb and they've got a couple different emotions going on. And don't you love the detail, kind of the window into their just very human experience. They have fear and they have great joy and they run to tell his disciples. You don't get the idea that they go, oh, we totally expected this. I mean, you don't get that idea. You get the idea with fear and great joy that they're going, what just happened? I mean, there have been moments. They don't happen all the time. They happen very rarely where you get, you get a phone call or something and it's like the news is so good and so unbelievable. It's like this is, what, this is what we wanted that you almost start shaking because it almost makes you afraid. Is this too good to be true? But wait a minute, I just heard this. And I think that is what's going on on that, that morning there. It's too good to be true, but they're just hearing it. By the way, like fear and great joy seem to, they just seem to follow Jesus. I mean, even when he's born, there's a lot of fear. Shepherds are, are fearful, and then there's great joy. And it seems like Jesus would do miracles, and they're, they're very, very happy to the miracle, and they're also very, very afraid of like, we don't have a category for anybody like this. No one's ever done anything like this before. If this is who I think it is, like, what, what is happening? Fear and great joy. They... they are told to go tell his disciples and they're on their way doing what the angel told them. And it says in verse nine, and look, or behold, Jesus met them. And there's a place in scripture where Jesus like is, is seen in all of his majesty and all of his glory, like especially Revelation one, two, and three. You see even Jesus describing himself in very majestic terms. But here it's just interesting as he meets two ladies. He says greetings, which is just, I mean, it's just hello. 
Again, it's so simple. It's so straightforward. I, I don't know how the ladies responded totally in all of the emotions they felt, but we do see their actions, right? They come up and they take hold of his feet. So he's 100% human. He's, he's not a ghost. He, they, they take hold of his feet and they embrace him. But then it also says they worship him. So he's 100% human and 100% God because nobody should be worshiped except for God. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're worshiping him. And now we get to hear the words of the risen Jesus in Matthew. In Matthew, you kind of go back and you go, okay, what were the last words that are recorded that Jesus said? And actually the last words that Matthew records him saying are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we have very different words on the lips of Jesus. The scene has changed dramatically. It says, Jesus said to them in verse 10, don't be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Much of what Jesus said is exactly, like, did you notice it's, it's almost exactly what the angel said. He tells them, don't be afraid. I'm guessing they still were. And a little fear seems totally reasonable. Go and tell. Go and tell. And it's not disciples this time. But notice it says, go and tell my brothers. I mean, I, I think that's a reference to the disciples, but it's a special reference there. And if we pause for a moment there, I think these disciples, these brothers, like, go tell them. Jesus tells these ladies, go tell my brothers. What he's saying is, go tell these disciples, these disciples, these brothers of mine who have messed up, who had messed up in just a colossal way, had totally failed. These brothers who had been the big talkers. Though everybody, like, denies you, I never will. These brothers, go tell them. Remember the ones that when Jesus is saying, I'm going to be crucified, they're the ones going, yeah, okay, but who's going to be the big, big shots in heaven? Like, who's going to rule in the kingdom? Like, who's going to be number one, number two? Like, can we, can we work out the order of the most important right now? The people that totally messed it, totally abandoned Jesus. And Jesus gives a word. Go tell my brothers and let's get ready for the best meeting they could ever imagine. Let's go to Galilee, and I want to see them again. And what's embedded in Jesus' desire to see his brothers is forgiveness and compassion and mercy. And surely one of the 11 disciples there, surely one of them hated to disappoint people. Maybe, maybe all 11. I mean, surely some of them are wired like us where the last thing I want to do is disappoint anybody. And they had disappointed Jesus. I mean, they totally, totally should be embarrassed and ashamed. And Jesus says, you know who I want to see? I want to see my brothers. I want to see my disciples. Jesus is risen from the dead and you begin putting it together. I mean, it could have gone down so differently. It could have been, definitely, he could have acted in vengeance and gone after Herod and Pilate and all the, the Roman and Jewish scheme that took him down, he certainly could have said, you know, that there are going to be consequences, disciples, for your actions, and you're going to have to prove and earn my favor again if we're ever going to get another start. He could have made demands in light of me rising from the dead. You're going to start doing some things for me here. I mean, the picture is so different. I mean, we don't have 
Herod and Pilate, we have Mary, and we have the other Mary, and his interest in the disciples. It does tell us, like, if we come to resurrection and we think somehow we're going to, like, pay God back, that's not what the story is. Do something for God. I mean, this is a a story where, like, no, the traffic's flowing in the other direction. God is going to do something amazingly for you. God has done something for you. And, and I guess my question would be, do, you, do we pay attention or do we sense like, great story, interesting, but I don't know that that has a whole lot of meaning for me because I wonder if it could be similar to my experience recently in, in the airport where I hear about all kinds of flights and now boarding, last call, and I, I hear all this, but it doesn't really matter because it's not my plane, not my flight oh, someone left or something or another on the plane and someone better get it. It doesn't really, I half hear it, I really don't. And maybe you could half hear Matthew 28 and somehow miss like, well, wait a minute, no, no. This is for you. Like there is some directives here for us. I think of a few of them even in the commands that the angel and Jesus gave. And I just for a couple, couple moments I just highlight a few of them? So one of those directives is when Jesus says, don't be afraid. Like that certainly had its own context on Easter Sunday, the first Easter. It also has, it also has a lot of relevance to us as well. In verse 5, verse 10, Jesus says, the, the angel says, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And I wonder if we need a reminder of that today. Because Certainly the world looks different than it did in AD 30 or 33 or whenever this happened, but I don't know that people are that much different, and I do think lots of things make us afraid. And you may very well have walked in these doors with low-grade anxieties and worries, or maybe it has spiked in their serious fear. Fear about lots of things. The world can be a scary place, especially when it seems like it's out of your control. Job presses in on you, demands you can't meet, problems you can't and, if you're honest with yourself, won't solve. And that can become, like, very fearful. You have situations in your family that make you afraid for what could happen for your kids, for your parents, for your friends, for someone very close to you. Some part of you isn't working the way Like it kind of has to work and that's taking you to a place. Some plans have changed unexpectedly. Maybe life itself is just changing and it gets scary. And this is what I think. Even if you feel like, you know what, Curtis, I mean, you can talk about people being afraid all day long. I'm not afraid. I have nothing to be afraid of. My life's going pretty well. I think you would have to be honest with yourself and know that could change like in a blink of an eye. It could change in a moment. And all of the toughness that we might feel could change and we we could be terrified. We could have something threatened that we love very deeply. In what Jesus would say at the tomb that morning, and I think what Jesus would speak and say again to us today is you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I don't think it's about you being, you know, 25% better psychologically. I don't think that's why he's saying this. I think he's saying there's a perspective that you can take on life. The fact that Jesus is risen. I mean, the ladies are going to walk away from the tomb with understandable fear. It says fear, but now they also have great joy because things have changed. Things have permanently changed. They are different. 
the person you hope in is alive. So certainly there are going to be sleepless nights and complicated situations. And the future is pretty unclear to me the next week, the next month, the next year. And I hear the words of Jesus, don't be afraid. But I also hear other words from Jesus where he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. If I could put it together, I also hear like, come meet with Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, come meet with me. He wants to be with people. That's why he says, the angel says in verse 7, like, go to Galilee, and Jesus is going to meet you there. Verse 10, Jesus says, tell my brothers, I'm going to Galilee. Let's meet there. Jesus always wanted to be around with people. And when he does a miracle, often people are present. When he teaches, people are present. When Jesus is baptized and goes into ministry, he calls people, and it says that he calls the disciples to be with him. He wanted men and women around him. And So it actually shouldn't surprise us much that this Jesus of Nazareth, God come in flesh, is now ready to spend time with people. People even, I mean, those disciples, I mean, think about that. They were spectacular failures. And if there's room for Jesus to say, I want to see them again, then Jesus, make no mistake, The impulse that he has for us in this room is not to keep us at a distance, but to come close, to give us invitations. I think those invitations are still still being given. Like, let's meet. A room this size, I mean, there are bound to be those of us who maybe feel like we've been away from Jesus for a long time, which isn't necessarily saying you're the worst, most evil person in the universe. It just may mean there's some distance that maybe has grown over time and maybe you're not exactly sure what God thinks of you. But maybe your hunch is, I don't know that it's too good. I don't know what he's thinking of me where I'm at. I don't know if he's okay with me. And maybe you need this word. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus, they speak to atonement and they speak to cleansing and they speak to freedom and they speak to salvation and they speak to all kinds of things, but they also speak primarily to relationship. It's not as if Jesus wants to do this thing for you and then kind of be done with you, but notice even after he has died for our sins, after he's risen for our justification, he says, could you tell my disciples I want to meet with them? a personal relationship. We're not getting plane tickets and passports to go to Galilee this morning. But I still, I still sense the Lord wanting to meet with us. And maybe, those, maybe that meeting will happen in a prayer of confession. And you'll experience the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from all sin. Or maybe it'll be a prayer of desperation and just as you end that prayer, It will be, I'm praying this in the name of Jesus. Or maybe it will be, even as we have sung and are going to sing to close our service, it'll it'll be a reminder, like we're joining together as a group of believers, as we read his word, we're, we're drawing near to Jesus. We want his presence. I mean, that is what will make the new heaven, that that is what will make it heaven is permanently with Jesus. Not, not by faith, but by sight.
And here we are walking by faith, needing that assurance. Come, let's meet with Jesus. And one more directive. And it just is right there in verse 7, verse 10. It's, yes, let's spread the news. So yeah, don't be afraid. And let's meet with Jesus. But news like this, how could that be contained? That's why Jesus would say to ladies, go and tell somebody. Even the end of Matthew 28 ends with a commission, an appointment, an assignment. Like, go tell, spread the news. It would mean at least this. It would mean people that know something about Jesus who have had him change their life. It would mean that it would be hard for people to get close to you without, without seeing that, without understanding that, without realizing how much of your life is controlled by a Savior who took nails for you and a Savior who rose from the dead for you. It would mean as people got close to you, it's going to be hard to like, keep that contained. You're going to... You're going to speak about it when, it, when your priorities come up, when, you're, when your speech, like your finances, your friendships, why you sacrifice, why you give, why you care for others, why you forgive, why you are kind, why your joy, it's meant to say something. He's alive, he's alive, and I'm convinced he loves me. And it doesn't have to be in a self-righteous, preachy way. But I think God has given us all kinds of different personalities and gifts and, and connections and a style to say, yeah, the resurrection, I believe that's happened and it's changed me. And Christians can't ever afford to like, just keep quiet about that. That's news that's meant to be spread. It's not meant to be contained. And we're, what, whatever, whatever Christianity is, it's certainly not just a few morals that we keep to try to keep the code, don't break any rules to try to make the world a little bit better place. I mean, sure, let's, let's behave, let's make the world a better place, but no, we're attached to a person and what he has done for us in the cross and the resurrection. Jesus matters to us. He makes all the difference in the world. You kind of start this Matthew 28 with ladies going to the tomb, I think ready to do something for Jesus, even as his body is there, even as they... They think they're going to encounter a corpse. They're going to honor him, make sure he was properly buried. And maybe there's a connection to be made here. Maybe those ladies thought they were going to do something for Jesus that day, and what they found is like, no, God has done something for them. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like you desire, you desire, you want to show God how much he matters, but... Actually, the call today is believe. You say, well, I don't know that I have that much faith. And I think I would say, like, start where you are. Do you believe this man loved you? Do you believe this man is God? Do you believe he came with a mission? Do you believe, like, let's just start asking those questions. Feel free. I mean, nobody has all the answers, but we also are convinced in what Jesus has said. And because of that, he's our hope. We believe he's true. We belong to a community that's being changed to look more and more like him. If you've never experienced that, if it's never been personal to you, today could be not the day where you figure it all out, but definitely the day where your life changes and God begins to put some things in place where you are never the same, like ever, not ever. And I prayed for that. And I know there are so many in this room that would love to have a conversation, whether it's today or in coming days about that but I'd like to pray for you now that we would take this message that he has risen and it would mean something today in our hearts. Let me pray.
Father, thank you for the reminder of your resurrection of, your, of Christ and the hope that brings. It's a hope that gives us life. So thank you for bringing us together to remember your son. And I pray for that person that is not quite sure what to make it all of it all, but is is beginning to believe. I pray for the person that is, their faith has taken some hits, that you would increase our faith for having looked at an empty tomb this morning. Thank you for the reminders of Scripture today. Thank you for being our living hope. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.